0: thanks for listening to the seeds church podcast if you're in middle tennessee we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services check out seedschurchtn.com for times and locations now here's our lead pastor jd Swilly. welcome we're glad you're watching we're listening to this podcast today i just want to take a moment and continue Uh, building off this idea of what we started talking about last week, about how as we're in pursuit of the deeper things of God and more of God, like we sang earlier today, we desire to know and experience more and operate in the power of the Spirit more than we are now in greater ways. Sometimes it's easy for us to be lured away to abandon the basic things, the foundational things. It's absolutely true that we should earnestly desire the gifts, right? That's what the Apostle Paul said. We should want more of the things of God, but we should also never uh, give into any temptation to think that the basics are no longer valuable, right? That we've outgrown them. I like this old saying, you know, dance with the one who brought you, right? Or if you If you say it the way that it's really supposed to be said, the way I heard it growing up is a dance with the one that brung you, right? Which means like, uh, don't abandon, you know, like there's some some things that are, are basic. We don't just walk away from them, right? They're the things that got us to where we are now. And so if you do abandon them, some of these basic things then you can become weak in some areas of your life. If you become out of habit and out of practice and out of rhythm of some things, you're going to either keep yourself from being effective in the kingdom of God or you're going to place yourself in the position where the enemy will make you ineffectual. So last week, we talked about the basic truth of how we need each other. Everybody say that. We need each other. other. Now, when I say we need each other, what I really mean also is, is that we need the church because we the people are the church, right? So when I say we need each other, it means we need the church. This is God's plan for every person is to be part of a life-giving church. Why do we need the church? Because it helps me grow spiritually, right? This is what we talked about. It helps me become a disciple of Jesus. And growing spiritually or being a disciple means that I'm not just learning about Jesus, but I'm becoming like Jesus, right? And in a spiritual family, a church family is required in order to grow spiritually and be like Jesus. You can hear great teaching and preaching. You can hear that anywhere. Podcasts, YouTube, read a book, hear something on the radio, but that's just learning information. It's in the context of community is where we put it to practice and we've got to have that. The reason that you hear us constantly talking about life groups is because, again, like I said, you don't just become like God or become like Jesus by hearing teaching. You learn it. Hopefully you're motivated. The light bulb comes on. But you, in community, is where you learn to live out what you've been taught. So you need a family. It's why we have life groups. It's why you need people around you to help you grow and vice versa. It's not just about your growth, but it's also what you can help someone else grow as well, right? So the church helps me grow spiritually and become like Jesus. Today, I just want to harp on another one of these basic things that we don't need to abandon. The idea, the principle, and it's the very heart and the very core of this church. And that's this. This church, or the church in general really, helps me discover and live out my purpose. The church helps me discover and live out my purpose. And and you think, again, JD, I know that. That's great. I understand most of you know that. But we need to be reminded we cannot abandon these basic things. If we think of our spiritual life as a journey, first we come to God, then we join the family, and then this family helps me grow spiritually, and the next step is for us in the context of community, in the context of God's Word, in the context of worship and prayer, is to explore and discover how you're designed and what your purpose is. See, God didn't just save you from sin and death and hell in the grave just so that you could take the reins from there. It's like, all right, well, I prayed the prayer, called upon Jesus. I believe that God raised him from the dead. All right, I got it from here. Thanks, God. Cool. I'm gonna go live my life now. I'm not gonna go out and, like, you know, live a, a heathenistic life or anything like that, but I'm gonna go do my own thing. That's not how it works. He saved you, so now that you can actually do what He designed you for from the very beginning, all along, we can say it this way. God didn't just save you from something, he saved you for something, right? If you read through the Bible, you see this pattern over and over and over again. When God intervenes in someone's life, he isn't just saving someone from something, he's saving them for something. Genesis chapter 37 through 50 tells the story of Joseph. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused of rape. He ends up in prison in Egypt. He hits rock bottom. But miraculously, God delivers him out of prison. Praise God. But he doesn't just do it for Joseph's sake. God did it because he had a purpose and he had an assignment for Joseph. God raised Joseph up to be the prime minister of Egypt so that he could have the influence and the power to prepare the nation and the entire region for the famine that was coming. And God used Joseph to save millions of people's lives from dying of starvation, including his own family that he was estranged with, but then he came into reconciliation with. God didn't just save Joseph from something, he saved Joseph for something i see another example of this in isaiah chapter 6 isaiah writes about an encounter that he has with god and in verse 1 this is going to be up here on the screen but if you want to look at it in your own bible uh feel free to do that isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says it was in the year king uzziah died that i saw the lord he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. I can't think of a more significant experience you could have than that right there, right? I mean, Isaiah has a vision of God, and then this is his reaction right here in verse 5. He said, it's all over. (laughs) I've seen the holy God. (laughs) His train has filled the temple. (laughs) I'm doomed. (laughs) How can can I be in his presence, right? Right? I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet, I've had this privilege of seeing the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. But how, how am I even just getting the privilege to see this right now? I don't deserve this. I mean, if you put yourself in his shoes for a second, this is 700 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Isaiah's relationship with God is based on, on, a, on a covenantal system that you and I have never had to, like, abide by or live by. It's an old covenant, right? Uh, it's an old way of being reconciled to God. And they are const- these people are constantly living with a sin consciousness instead of a consciousness of the grace of God. Why? Because Jesus hadn't come yet, right? He hadn't brought the new way of reconciliation to God that we get to partake in. So if you were to have this vision of God during this time period, how would you react? I mean, probably the same way. I'm doomed. It's over. It's done. It's done for me. And Isaiah is like, I'm in the presence of God. I'm sinful, and this is it for me. My life is over. I'm going to disintegrate at any second. You know, I kind of picture it like the Marvel movie. You know, uh, which one was that? I think it was like Infinity War at the end where everybody started turning into like dust and like blowing away. Maybe Isaiah thought he was in Kansas or something, that he was like dust in the wind. But um, (laughs) look look what he says here in verse six. He says this. He says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. What's this a picture of? Well, most simply put, it's a picture of grace. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're carrying a lot of baggage. (laughs) Maybe you feel like Isaiah I'm doomed. (laughs) I should disintegrate at any moment. Maybe your past keeps reoccurring in your future. Maybe you're in bondage to some kind of addiction or secret or whatever it is. <laughs> Maybe your life is pretty mild, but you still like you're, you. have this realization of, I need grace. Notice in this passage that Isaiah didn't do anything to get the grace. He wasn't the one that went over to the altar and grabbed the burning coal. It was the angel of the Lord that came to him and touched his lips with a burning coal. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to prove himself or anything like that. And from Isaiah's perspective, he's like, I'm done. It's over. I'm dead. But God says, no, I extend my grace to you. A common misconception is that, and again, this is a basic thing that I know a lot of us in this place know, but it's something that we need to be reminded of because there are forces in this world that are, that are constantly working in a, in a different system than the way of, of the kingdom of God, okay? And there's a lot of Christians also that just don't have the right mindsets, and so it's important to come back to Scripture and see what, what does Scripture say? And so this, there's this common misconception that we have to clean ourselves up before we, before we come to God, well, i got to get everything right before I present myself to God. I've got to deal with my stuff. i got to stop these bad habits. I- I've got to get everything in order. And once I do that, then I'll come to God. Then I'll get baptized. Then I'll get involved in church. Then I'll start serving. You can never get yourself cleaned up enough to meet God's standard. can't be done. Otherwise, Jesus came for nothing. If I could do this on my own, then Jesus wasted his time. But none of us can do it on our own. The amazing new way that God put things into order so that we could offer ourselves to him is through Jesus and what he accomplished. So now we can come to God and say, I offer you, God, all of me. Even the ugly parts. Even the terrible things that I've done. Even the terrible things that have happened to me. I've give it all to you. I give myself to you. You are the one that changes me. You are the one that makes me clean. I don't make me clean. You make me clean. Do whatever it is now that you want to do with my life. And this is pretty much what happens with Isaiah. And in verse eight, it says this. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's like, here I am. Send me. See what's happening here? God is offering Isaiah grace. And then he says, I got a job for you. I have something for you to do. I have a purpose for you. God didn't just say to Isaiah, you know, all right, I saved you. I extend my grace to you. Now go live your life however you want. No, he didn't just save him from something. He saved him for something. Do you think when God said, um, who should I send as a messenger to the people who will go for us? (laughs) Do you think that God was like, well, I don't see anybody here. It was kind of a rhetorical question, like, we know the deal. Isaiah, I didn't just save you from something, I saved you for something. I I, I love what, I think it was Charles Spurgeon said this, grace does not find a man and then leave him where he is. And that's a pretty deep, simple statement. (laughs) Meaning, it's a multi-layer a little bit there. God didn't just save me from something. He saved me for something. God didn't, grace didn't just find me and then le- leave me to do the rest of my own. Grace didn't just find me and then for me to not be transformed either. Not to be sanctified either. A- a- another way to say this is this, uh, this whole idea of God saving you f- not just from something but for something. Another way to say it is this, Saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. The salvation that Jesus provided you, his incredible grace that he's given to you, it goes hand in hand with the ministry that he's called you to. Oh, it's awfully quiet in here. <laughs> I'm just gonna mean, just gonna take that as your processing. in <laughs> your head is... <laughs> okay. I heard someone say once that... Uh, one of the ways that you can gauge your level of understanding of God's grace is by how much you serve other people. Because when you really experience the grace of God, when you really see all that God has done for you, you can't help but want to serve. God, use me. Do whatever it is that you want to do through me. Some of, it, some of you have an amazing story of what God has done in your life. I mean, you, your, your past was pretty messed up, you were far from God, but maybe God delivered you and, and freed you from that bondage, and maybe it was drug addiction or alcoholism, maybe he restored your marriage, redeemed you out, out of all sorts of crazy stuff, and the beautiful thing is seeing people motivated by the grace of God say, man, I, I want to help I want to help people who are going through the things like I went through. I want to help them come out of that. I want to help people, you know, not make the same mistakes that I made. And then there's those of us that are like, well, I mean, I don't have that story. I mean, I've, I, I. I don't even know what pot smells like. If it were, you know, somebody were to light a joint right next to me, I don't know. You know, that's what some of our story is like. And you're like, I grew up in a pretty good family. I don't have, you know, a crazy story. I didn't do a bunch of stuff that I regret. Relatively, I've lived a pretty calm and mild life. How does God use me? Well, how do you think you got into that great family? How do you think, you know, you you avoided all of that stuff, all of those mistakes, all of those pitfalls? It's the same way that the people came out of it. Grace. All of it is grace. Why, what did you do to deserve a good family or good parents? Nothing. You, you just had the grace to begin, begin with. So, so, so the same grace that saved us, saved some of us from, you know, the crazy mess is the same grace that saved others from ever having to experience the crazy mess. So it's all the same. You don't, don't look and go, well, I just don't have a testimony. Because I've never done drugs, or I've never drank, or been, been drunk, or been an alcoholic, or uh, because I've never, you know, abused my family, or hey, your, your your testimony of grace is just as good as the other person's testimony of grace. Same grace, same grace causes all of us and motivates all of us to want to serve. And because of that grace, I want to love. Because of that grace, I want to give. The biblical word for this is called ministry. Now, I realize that for some of us, you're like, man, well, I don't ever, I don't feel like a minister. You know, I've not, I've not been to to seminary. I've not been licensed or ordained as a minister. You know, you don't think of yourself as a minister. You think of yourself as an attender. Well, the people up front, they're the ones that are ministering. They're the ministers. The people on the prayer team, they're the the ministers. I'm just an attender. But to help us understand of what what ministry really is, we've got this equation right here. Ministry is simply this. When you take your God-given gifts and your experiences and you add them to serving others, and then you add that to God's purpose, not for your own glory, all of that equals... Ministry. It's that simple. It has nothing to do with being on a stage in front of people. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he describes how a biblically functioning church should operate. And this is what he says here in Ephesians chapter four, eleven. This is pretty, you know, foundational scripture. Right here it says, now these gifts are, uh, uh, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are commonly known as the five-fold ministry gifts. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, we could go into a whole teaching series just and and break down the roles of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but we don't have time for that today. And and I know some people are like, oh, wait, wait a second. I I didn't think we had apostles anymore. Uh, And and if you noticed um, on the screen here behind me a few moments ago, when Barnabas was up there, our missionary in Nigeria, the title, his title said Apostle Barnabas. You're like, I didn't think we had apostles anymore. No, we do. And if you look at what the job description of an apostle is, that's how he operates in the church as an apostle, as one that's sent out. And so, so you're like, I thought that was just something for the early church. No, the fivefold ministry gifts are still in operation in today's church, even though maybe today's church doesn't do a great job or or areas of the church that don't do a great job of recognizing all five gifts. Just, we were talking about this last week. I think, um, in DNA last week, Alejandro, my new friend, we were talking that you brought this up about the fivefold ministry gifts. Right. And we were talking about this and how, how these days we just call everybody pastor, right? You know, um, we'll pastor this and pastor that. And, uh, we even give the title of pastor to people who aren't don't even operate in any one of those fivefold ministry gifts sometimes but then because we call someone pastor we automatically have preconceived notions about how they are supposed to equip the body but we understand there's five gifts not all it's not just every they're all pastor right no, there's five of them, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But we have in our minds what a pastor's role should be. But if Tim has the, the gift of a prophet, and, but I've labeled him with pastor, and now Tim can't operate in the gift of a prophet because that's not how God gifted him. But I have this preconceived notion of that. Then whatever, however Tim ministers, it's just going to frustrate me because he's not operating as a pastor. And, and then Tim's going to be frustrated because he can't fulfill my expectations either. And so it's important that we recognize the fivefold ministry gifts. And it's not about titles. It's not about oh, well, they have a title and, you know, and they're more important than because they no, it's not about titles, it's not about importance, but it's about recognizing the gifts that God that Jesus it says Paul said that Jesus gave to the church for the equipping of the body, for the work of the ministry. It's kind of like, you know, the relationship between coaches and players. Coaches are the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Then everyone else in the church are the players. (laughs) They're the ones on the court doing the fun stuff. The coach's job is to maximize the player's skills, to motivate them, to develop game plans. Now I'll say this, there's just, you know, two categories in the church coaches, that's the first one, players, that's the second one, and there are no fans. I mean, it's not supposed to be a category of fans, right? Why? Because simply attending church is not a spiritual gift. (laughs) Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, attender. No, it's just five, (laughs) And so no no one's gonna stand before God someday and hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I've given you the gift of attendance and you nailed it. You were there most Sundays. <laughs> good job. Enter into my rest. No, there's only coaches and players. Coaches and players here on earth, anyway. There are fans. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the grandstand of fans. They are the great cloud of witnesses, right? Those saints who have gone before us and who are now in heaven cheering us on. So there are fans, but they're not here on earth. So you can't qualify as a fan just yet. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. But right now, we're coaches and players, right? And God didn't just save you from something, he saved you for something. Saved people, served people. So the question is, what is my ministry? What is your ministry? What does God want to do through you? What does the Holy Spirit want to do through the spiritual gifts that he's placed in you? Jesus told this parable about a master and three servants. And the master gave the servants some resources to manage. These resources were called talents. And a talent was a very large amount of money. We've actually done some teaching this year, I think even, uh, earlier this year, on this parable. And so we don't have to go into the whole thing and break the whole thing down. But the first guy, hallelujah, (laughs) heaven is coming down. Um, the first guy gets five talents. You guys can just shut that off. It's fine. Thank you for trying to set the mood. Holy Spirit, you got this one without our help. The first guy got five talents. The first, the servant. And actually, the, the actual, um, man, I'm, I have to stop. Okay, <laughs> It's like, we're not going to break this parable down and get into all of it. And I started doing that. All right, we'll just keep it simple. The first guy gets five talents, very, very large amount of money. Second guy, he gets two talents. The third guy gets one talent. So the master goes away for a number of years, right? And then he comes back to see how things are going. And the first guy has taken his five talents and he's doubled it, right? He's got 10 now. He's taken and invested and used what the master gave him. And he, now there is fruit that was produced from what, how he managed those resources. And I just want to say this real quick. This, this, this parable, uh, Jesus is using the illustration of, you know, like money. But this parable really isn't about money. It's about stewarding and how to prepare and wait well on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord's return. What are we supposed to be doing in the meantime? That's really the, the bottom line of this parable. So the five guy or, or the five-talent guy doubles it. The two-talent guy doubles what the Lord or the Master gave him. Now he's got four. And then we we have the, the guy with the one talent, and he was so nervous and so afraid of the master and didn't really understand the the character and the nature of the one who he was serving, he looked at his master all wrong. And so what he did was he went and buried it in the ground. I mean, he didn't even put it in the bank to, to like just generate interest. He went out in the backyard and dug a hole and put a box in the ground and just covered it up Maybe put like a little twig there, like, oh, or a rock. That's where that is now. <laughs> That's not why the master gave him the money, the talent, the resource. If, if the master wanted nothing to be done with what he gave, he would have just kept it himself. He didn't need the servant to not do anything with what he gave him. He could have just not given it to him to begin with. Does that make sense? And so when the master finds out how this guy managed what he gave him, it wasn't pretty. You can read the whole thing in Matthew 25. But I want to not be like the guy number three, I don't want to be like the one talent servant and say, well, I did nothing with the gifts that you gave me, Lord. God, I know that you didn't just save me from something, but you saved me for something, but I didn't explore what that was. I didn't do anything with that. So what's your ministry? God, out of his rich grace, wants to do something significant through you in a way that makes you come alive like you've never thought possible. And I want to say this, some days, there are some days of following the Lord and being obedient to God that are just like, all right, well, this is it. I'm just, I'm showing up and I'm going to do what I got to do. And the, the heavens don't split open and there's no beams of light shining down and you don't get any goosebumps. There are lots of days like that, but there are some moments where you take those steps of obedience and you take the, the resources and the gifts that God's given you and you put them into practice, and you start to see evidence and you start to see fruit, and something starts stirring on the inside of you, and something starts coming alive on the inside of you. You're like, oh man, this is scratching an itch I almost didn't know I had. I, this, is, this feels like maybe I was created to do this. And if you've never felt that way, I want to encourage you take some steps. Explore, figure it out. You might be, you might be thinking, maybe, man, I've tried all of that all before. I've heard messages like this before. I've tried it. It wasn't for me. It didn't work out. So I'm satisfied with just, you know, having using my exercising my spiritual gift of attending. I want to tell you, don't give up. Friday night, I was at a football game. Actually, the, the word is getting around that I was at this football game. I must have been loud and shouting. Casey Reynolds came up to me earlier today, and uh, he's like, wow, so you're pretty competitive, huh? The Gilllands were there. Our kids at Lancaster Christian were playing the, the team over at Franklin Christian Academy. They're state champs. We had the home game, home field advantage, and um, kind of a a real tough game, neck and neck. And Franklin Christian ties the game up; it's fourteen to fourteen. And we don't. It doesn't really feel like we have momentum. It feels like Franklin Christian has momentum at this point. And we're driving down the field, and we're just about to get into. The red zone. It's looking good. We. It, do, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of momentum, but it is looking good for us. And then all of a sudden, we turn the ball over. And the crowd just on our side of the field goes silent. The other side of the field is cheering. They're loud, but our side is quiet and silent. And we got kids walking off the field, and one of them takes their helmet and slams their helmet down, and it hits the bleacher, and hits the, hits the bench, and makes a loud noise. And he's sitting there, and he's got his, his head in his hands like this. I'm like, oh, man, I know what that feels like. He's tried. And he's hitting a wall. But I look over at the clock. <laughs> yeah, we're in the fourth quarter, but we got four minutes left on the clock. And I hollered out, Hey! It's not over! (laughs) And then all the fans in the stands with me were like the same way. Yeah, it's not over. Come on. Let's go, Knights. Let's go, Lancaster. And sure enough, we get out there in that field, and those boys bust their tails. And that was probably the longest four minutes of a football game I've ever been part of. And you just had to be there. And it was exciting. It was neck and neck. And, And finally, we got a safety on them. And we went up by two. And then we won the game. It's not over. It's not over. You may have tried. You may have hit your head against the wall. You may have thrown your helmet. You may have been frustrated. You're like, I don't know what it is that God's called me to. I don't understand this. But it's not over. You're still here on this planet. There's time. God's got talents that he's given to you. It's time to Dig them up out of the ground and let's go figure out what they're good for. Keep trying. Sometimes it takes two and three and four and five times to find out where your fit is, to find out what your gifts look like and and how to exercise them. But look, when you do it, it's amazing. There's nothing like the thrill of being used by God. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for this church. I don't want a church where people just show up to watch the professionals do what they do. I pray that we would be the kind of church where everyone is finding their fit for the work of the ministry. How much more effective could the church be if we're all firing on every cylinder here? How much more could heaven be brought to Middle Tennessee when we're all being used and using our God-given gifts to serve others for God's purposes? Why do you need the church? Because you need the church to help you discover who God is. Created you to be and to do what he called you to do. Just a moment, we're getting ready to transfer the service from inside to outside and baptize some people. If you're here today, And you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you've never been baptized. Or I would even say this, if you're here today and you've been a believer of Jesus Christ, and maybe you have been baptized, but there's been some significant things happen in your life where maybe the Holy Spirit is drawing you to be baptized again. Because I know that scenario doesn't fit every single person, but it does fit some people. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that today. Some of you came prepared to be baptized. If you did come prepared to be baptized, uh, I want to invite you to just slip up out of your seat right now and go get changed. Go to the restrooms, get changed, and get ready to meet us out here on the patio in just a few minutes. But if you're here today and you, maybe you didn't come prepared to be baptized, but for some reason or another, the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart saying, you need to do this. I mean, this is an important step of obedience. And this, this shows other people that we've personally trusted Jesus for our salvation. And, and it's not just for other people, but it's for yourself as well. Jesus was baptized when he was here on earth and we do it to follow his example. And it was a commandment that he gave to us. And when we're baptized, here's what happens. It's, it's a picture, it's, it's symbolic. We're submerged into the water, And it's, we're identifying with the death and the burial of Jesus. And our old self is buried with Christ. But then what happened three days later? We're not gonna hold you under the water for three days, I promise. But three days later, he is resurrected. And when we come out of the water, we are resurrected with him. We have a new nature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so we believe that water baptism is a public declaration of these important things, that you're a follower of Jesus, that you're beginning a changed life in in Christ, and that you are now part of a new family. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, I didn't come prepared to be baptized, that's okay. We've made it easy for you. We have shirts. We have shorts. We have towels. And if you are like, yeah, I want to do it. Go see Pastor Bob right now. Just slip up out of your seat. Go see Pastor Bob, and we'll get you baptized. You're like, well, I didn't take a class. That's okay. Neither did the people in the Bible. <laughs> it's like, oh, Larry, you just gave your life to Jesus? That's wonderful. Let's go to the water. They didn't go to class. They, I, listen, I, class is good. It's wonderful. It's where you learn about the symbolism. But it's not the prerequisite. When someone says, I believe, they said, let's go to the water. So we're just going to do that. We're just going to follow the Bible, okay? Does that sound like a good thing to do? So, hey, if you believe and if you've not been baptized, do it today. If you've been baptized before, but for some reason or another, the Holy Spirit's moving on your heart to do that, then be obedient. Don't miss this opportunity. See, church, we're about, we're, we're about being people of obedience, right? And he's like, well, uh, I thought the Bible said that there was only one baptism. Well, it does say that, but you have to know what that says in context. It doesn't mean you're only allowed to get baptized once. He's talking about we're not going to baptize ourselves as disciples of, like, you know, I, I'm not a disciple of Casey. <laughs> I'm not a disciple of Ronnie. I'm not a disciple you know, of, of Chris, I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's the one baptism. So it's not about, well, you can't get baptized more than once. That's not what it meant. It means, oh, I'm just a disciple of Jesus. That's the one baptism. So again, if that's you, I know some people have already started head that way. Go out, see Pastor Bob. He's right there, out in the foyer right there. But would you guys stand with me? We're going to pray. It's not over. Amen. Amen? And I just want to say, all, all of us here that have been exercising gifts of the Spirit that God has given to us. Good job. But guess what? There's more. There's more. We don't abandon the basics, or, and we don't just only do the basics. There's more. We des- earnestly desire the gifts, is what Paul said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us grace (laughs) like you showed to isaiah and he didn't do anything to deserve it but you extended it to him and you extended it to us through jesus and what he accomplished thank you for the spiritual gifts that you've given to every single believer god some of us we may not know what those gifts are but you have given them to us. And so we just start now in the place of thankfulness and gratitude and we thank you for them. And thank you for gifting to us who are those five-fold ministry gifts in the church, God, to help equip us, to help us discover what those spiritual gifts are, to help us put them into practice. Holy Spirit, help us see what you see. Help us come alive in you as we explore and activate the gifts that you've given us. God, we're doing all of this not so that we can just pat each other on the back and say, look at what you did, great job, but we're doing it to build your kingdom. To Jesus, you instructed us to pray that your kingdom would come from heaven to earth. So God, as we pray that, align our hearts with your heart. Help us discover the gifts that you've called us or that you've given to us and you've called us to exercise so that we can establish your kingdom here on earth, God. So that Middle Tennessee can look a little bit more like heaven tomorrow and even a little bit more the next day and even more the day after that because you're working through your people. God encourage us right now as we look around the world and we see how things can are are seemingly becoming and growing dark. I thank you that the light shines even brighter and it shines through your people, people like us right here at Seeds Church, people like at other great life-giving churches all over this area, God. We pray that we would all link arms and work together to establish your kingdom your kingdom truly would come from heaven to earth. And God, we want to not bury our talents. We want to use them. I pray right now, speak to your people right now, God. Move upon their hearts right now, God, of how they're supposed to exercise their gifts or how to explore what their gifts even are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. Amen. Thanks for listening.